All right, we are going to be moving along in our summer series on Paul. We're like, I don't know, week four or five already. It's just we're cruising right through the summer. But last week, we began to see that Saul suddenly went from being the pursuer to the one being pursued, the one who was out trying to kill Christians to suddenly being a Christian who everybody was trying to kill. Um, Life is completely different for Saul. From here on out, he's going to be on the run. He's going to be living life against the current. And we're going to be seeing more of that today. Well, we left off the story last week where Saul was escaping in a basket outside the city of Damascus. He was trying to get away because they were waiting for him at the city gate. They wanted to kill him. So he escaped, and he was heading back to Jerusalem. Okay, And so let's pick up in Acts chapter 9 where we left off last week. Verse 26, it says this. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. So Saul goes back to Jerusalem, and you got to understand, Jerusalem's kind of like his headquarters. It's where he had been basing all of his, you know, going after the Christians. So he's kind of going back home, except that it's not going to be home anymore for him. Because the people who he used to be partners with have suddenly become his enemy. He's no longer going to be welcomed by the high priest. He's no longer going to be part of this ruling council that he was on. And in a sense, they have booted him off the council when they heard that he was, you know, suddenly a follower of Jesus Christ when he was converted. And so he, these guys are his fierce enemies. So Saul was now an outsider of all the ruling Jews of Jerusalem. But you know what? That's okay because he has a new family now, the family of believers, the family of God, the people who follow Jesus are now going to be his family, or so he thinks. Saul shows up to the Christian hangout place, wherever that would be, and he's like, hey guys, what's up, brothers and sisters? It's it's great to see you. You know, I'm Saul now. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Bring it in. Let's Let's have a hug. You know, he's excited to be with this church family. But all the believers were like, whoa, hold up a second, bro. Don't think that you can just come in here and hang out because we don't trust you. We don't know that you really are who you say you are. We don't know if you're believers. None of them trusted Saul. And you know what? It's easy to understand that, but we have to put ourselves in their shoes. Because tell me, third service, what had happened in the church of Jerusalem just a few weeks before? Stephen was murdered. And tell me, who was behind that? Who orchestrated that? Saul did. Not only that, but then Saul started going after the church in Jerusalem, arresting Christians, beating down their door, and they were scattering. Saul was the guy behind that. So Saul shows up on the scene in this church, and they're like, whoa, we don't trust this guy. Now, it would be a little bit like this. Let's try to put ourselves in their shoes. Let's, let's try to imagine what this early church was going through. Doug Harper, could you come on up here? Doug Harper is, has been part of this church for many, many years. In fact, he was one of the early people that, you know, in the, when this church started. Doug has taught Sunday school here for many years. He has been a life group leader for many years. He has been an, an elder for many years. He's now an administrative pastor here. Everybody loves Doug. Doug is part of the Whitestone family. He's a godly guy. He he serves the Lord. He loves people. And so he's a well-loved part of our family. But imagine that someday 
there's this guy by the name of Jake Andrews who hates Christians. He hates the church. And he comes running into this church during the middle of the service. And he is out to take Doug out. Okay? So he grabs, at least Jake's wearing a, a mask. And he takes Doug out back. Now, <laughs> and nobody tries to rescue Doug. Well done, guys. He takes Doug out back, and guys, this isn't just something funny. He actually kills him. Imagine that. Imagine that Doug gets killed, and we're all gathered around his tombstone. I think I got the dates right, but I'm not sure I'd have to, have to double take that. But he was murdered, murdered by Jake. And then Jake starts beating down people's doors and arresting people and, and, and families are scattering, running to different states to get out, okay? You have to put yourself in those shoes. Now, let's say that a month or a month and a half later, Jake Andrus, is he back yet? Where is he? I hope he didn't trip and fall. He's not here yet, okay? Just imagine what this would be like. <laughs> He was quicker, second service. Maybe he got locked out. So let's imagine that he suddenly shows up, and he's, he's all dressed in pink. He says, he's carrying a Bible now. He's, he looks well put together. And uh, Jake would like to make an announcement to the Whitestone family. Great to see you. Good morning, everyone. I'm all steamed up a little bit. Uh, it's great to see you, brothers and sisters. I just wanted to let you know there's a Bible study at my house this week, and uh, outdoors, of Anybody course. welcome? <laughs> Everyone is welcome. would love to see you there. Okay, let's imagine that that were the case, okay? How many would want to go to this Bible study? Zero. Why? Because we don't trust this guy. He just murdered Doug. He just attacked the church. We're like, hey, that's great and all, but dude, not here. And we would kick him out. Okay, get out of here, Jake. All right? You see, guys, there's a reason. Poor Jake. He was God one week, the voice of God. Now he's being booted out of church, so he's got to play all different roles. But you see, guys, there's a reason why these Christians don't trust Saul. I mean, why would they? It would almost be foolish for them to let down their guard and let this man in. Okay? This man had caused so much grief and so much suffering and plus, let's just say he was a believer. Let's say that he did become a follower of Jesus Christ. There, I'm sure, were so many people in the Jerusalem church who'd be like, you know what? I don't care. He killed my friend, Stephen. And I don't care if he's a Christian now. That's fine. I, I'm sorry, I just can't forgive him. And I don't want him around me. I don't want him part of this church. That's great. You're a Christian. That's super. But you cannot be a Christian here. Not in our church. So get out. And so the church of Jerusalem did not accept Saul. They did not welcome him with open arms. And you know, guys, sometimes when you are trying to walk with God and you're, you're truly trying to follow Jesus, you know, it can sometimes be Christians who are your most fiercest opponents. Sometimes when you want to start to follow Jesus, Christians can be the ones who are dead set against you. I've known many people who have lived really terrible, rough lives. They've made horrible mistakes in their lives. And when they've suddenly, you know, given their lives to Jesus and they've chosen to leave their old life and begin to follow Jesus, they've tried to join certain churches 
And, and the people of those churches didn't accept them. They weren't good enough. They, they weren't sanitized enough. Their life wasn't perfect enough yet. The mistakes that they made were too far, too ugly, too evil. And yeah, you might be a Christian, that's awesome, that's super, but I don't want you to be a Christian at my church. They were accepted by God, but not accepted by God's family. And you know, that can devastate a, a person. In fact, what I've seen happen across our church and our world today is what we've done is we've, because we haven't allowed people to, to enter in and begin this journey and be real, what we've produced is people who try to fake it. They try to put on this false outside like everything's got it together. And I know I've mentioned, mentioned this a zillion times before, but that's where we get our holy miraculous asphalt from. People will be driving from their homes, ticked off at each other, screaming at their wife, dropping a bunch of cuss words, and the minute they pull into our parking lot, it's like, oh, you know, this beautiful transformation happens, and they step out of the car and walk in the building like, praise the Lord, brother, it's great to see you. It's amazing, yes, oh, praise the Lord. Lord, we lift your name on high, and they're just worshiping the Lord, and you're like, yes, let's join a life group, honey, that would be awesome. And then they drive off the parking lot, and they're fighting again. Why? Because they're not allowed to be real. I mean, it's one thing to go against the current when it's the world against you. It's a whole other thing when you're going against the current and it's the body of Christ against you. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it happens more than we like to admit. Listen, third service, when someone chooses to follow Jesus and chooses to join a group of believers to follow Jesus together with them, we are called as Christians to love them, to walk alongside of them in their journey of growing closer to God. And you know what? Not everyone starts their walk with God all sanitized and perfect. In fact, nobody does. Many are going to be messed up. Many are going to be pretty damaged. Many are going to be bent this way. So many, the consequences of their choices are still going to be plaguing them in their present day life. And like Jesus did with so many people, we are called to meet them where they're at and help them along their journey of growing in holiness and righteousness. If God can forgive their sins, then we should too. And I know that may be hard for some, but it's what God has called us to do. Amen? Well, Paul, is he's on the outside here. He's no longer welcome with his old buddies. He's not that the Jews who hate Jesus now hate him. Not only so, he's not welcome at the church in Jerusalem with all the Christians. Nobody wants him. And he's completely alone. And I'm sure that this had to be an incredibly hard time for Saul. But you know, sometimes following Jesus can be very, very lonely. I mean, if you ask all the great men and women of God who have devoted them, them their lives to Jesus and following him, they will all tell you that there were times of incredible loneliness in their life. Read about Elijah, incredible loneliness. Moses, incredible loneliness. David, Martin Luther, great men and women who, who in seeking after Jesus went through deep times of loneliness. But you know, it's usually during those times of loneliness where they begin to fully grasp God's presence in their life because, guys, the truth is that a follower of Jesus Christ is never truly alone. Amen? 
They aren't. Over and over in Scripture, we're told that, that God's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He's with us even till the end of this age. But the problem is, is that God is unseen. We can't see him. And so that makes, us, makes it hard as physical beings because we need to be trained to, to experience his presence. We need to practice. And God is going to use these times of loneliness to teach us that. So I'm confident that God is using this in Saul's life at this point. Saul was warned by Jesus at the very beginning that he was going to suffer greatly for the cause of Christ. And you know what? Here we see it already happening. Loneliness was part of that suffering. But God never just leaves us there. He promises to meet our needs, and he's about to do that for Saul. Let's keep reading verse 27. It says, Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So here we see some dude by the name of Barnabas. Anybody here by the name of Barnabas? No? Barnabas, this is not the first time we hear of Barnabas in Scripture. He actually shows up in Acts chapter 4. And that's when the church was just kind of starting in Jerusalem. And there was a bunch of people, needy people, who uh, were in the church and so Barnabas actually went and sold a piece of land that he owed and or that he owned, and he took the money and brought it to the apostles to be able to help those in need. So Barnabas was an incredibly generous man, incredible guy. Now, another thing about the, the name Barnabas is that that actually wasn't his name. His real name was Joseph. But they gave him the nickname Barnabas. Does anybody have a nickname here? Raise your hand. What's your nickname, Jill? Jilly B. Jilly B. Hunter, what's your nickname? What? Billy Bob? Okay. Jilly B, Billy Bob. I can see a little sort of common theme here. Something in the back, Suzanne? Sunshine. Sunshine. Okay. Anybody else? David? Papa Bear. Any other nicknames? Steve? Her? What? Jaybird. Okay. Aaron, what's yours? Ernie Nerdy? Nerdy Gertie. Okay. I'm not going to ask about that one. Any, any nicknames over here? Eric Gray, what's yours? Garmus. Okay. Nobody's like got a nickname like The Rock or The Stud or anything like that. Okay. Oh, there's one in the back. Ema. Okay. Mima. How about you? Okay. I didn't hear that. What is it, Jake? Dude? Okay, that's a good one. So we all have a lot of nicknames, but they called this Joseph guy Barnabas. Now, do you want to know why that is? Does anybody know what the name Barnabas actually means? It means encouragement. Exactly. In fact, the name Barnabas means the son of encouragement. Now, Apparently, this guy was a great encourager. In, in, in fact, even today, when somebody is an incredible encourager, we will say that person is a real Barnabas. In fact, I don't know if you guys know Tom Schilt. Tom Schilt's been part of this church for a long time. But Tom Schilt is a Barnabas. I mean, he will call people, encourage people, pour life into people. And often people will say, man, he is such a Barnabas. Now, what they mean by that is he's such an encourager. 
So the name means that. So this man, not only was he incredibly generous, but he was an encourager. And you know what? Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. We all do. Well, Saul is about to have a Barnabas in his life because Barnabas reaches out to Saul and accepts him and trusts him and believes him. And I want you to understand how huge this is. I mean, Barnabas is demonstrating the love of Jesus by doing this. At a time where everyone else didn't trust Saul, they didn't believe him, they maybe thought he was a spy. Like Jake was saying, come to a Bible study at my house. They're like, yeah, right. They didn't believe him. They thought maybe he was trying to trick them. Barnabas went against the current of the Jerusalem church and he stepped out and he loved him. And why do I say he loved him? Because the Bible tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs. And Barnabas steps out and chose not to hold his past against him. He chose to forgive Saul for what he had done and not hold it against him in any way and instead trust him because love always trusts. And I have to say this is incredibly amazing. What Barnabas is doing here is beyond beautiful. He's basically saying, Saul, I know you've made some horrible mistakes. I know you, you've done some crazy things. You've killed people. I know you have. I've experienced the hurt from it. I've experienced the pain from it. But Saul, I know that God's gotten a hold of your life. And he's not just going to tweak you. He's going to transform you. And I'm not going to hold your past against you. I'm not going to keep record of your wrongs. I'm going to love you. And that means I'm going to trust you. And I can't imagine how wonderful that must have been for Saul to hear that. It had to have filled his heart with, with joy. Saul now had a Barnabas in his life. And Barnabas took Saul. He says, Saul, come here. And he takes him to the apostles. And he says, guys, I'm going to stand here in the gap for this man. Because I'm going to tell you a story about Saul. On his way to Damascus, he was going to persecute Christians. While on his way, a light from heaven shone down upon him, knocked him to the ground. And the voice of God spoke and said, Saul, what are you doing? And Saul replies, says, who are you? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. At that point, guys, I just want you to know that this man's life was changed. And he got up from the ground completely blind. He went to this house of Judas. Ananias came over and prayed for him and prayed that the Spirit of God would fill him. His sight was restored. And do you know what he began to do immediately in Damascus? He began to preach in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, the very name he was against. And Barnabas stood there and he introduced these two and he stood in the gap and he brought Saul to the apostles to where the apostles embraced him and took him in. And I, I mean, this had to have been one of the coolest things to have experienced. This man who is dead set against you suddenly is now on your team. And look what starts to happen. Let me read it to you, verse 28. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. I think that's just amazing. Imagine the apostles joining hands with this man who was their fiercest enemy, and now he's their most powerful teammate. I love that. You know, I, many years ago, I used to play basketball at the YMCA during my lunch hour. It was just pickup games. A bunch of us old guys would try there and try to act like we still had it, you know, and we, we'd go out there. And there was this guy named Mitch who was probably like 6'6", big dude, and I don't know why it always happened this way, but we were always on opposing teams, and we, he'd always pick me to go against me. And he would always typically be skins, and I was shirts, and he's this big, 
you know, hairy chest and we'd start playing, he'd get sweaty. You know, I'd be coming back and up against him and all of his sweat and grime is on my back and it was nasty and everything. And I'd go up to dunk, you know, like I usually do and he'd jump up and just bat the ball away and I'd try to take shots and he'd push me away and then he'd come on offense and he'd be backing me down and I'd be trying to hold him slipping off his slimy back and everything and he'd turn and make the shot and I'm just like, I could, I could never beat this guy. He was just like my fiercest opponent. But then halfway through the time at lunchtime, what they would do is like, all right, let's switch up the teams. And so they would like, all right, let's do it here, whatever. And the next thing you know I'd find is that Mitch would be on my team. And it was the most awesome thing in the world because here's this big guy and they'd put me with this little short gun and I'd be slapping the balls away from him. And, and Mitch would have my back. And it was awesome. That's how it had to have been for Saul and the apostles. I mean, for, it's a little bit like for us Bear fans, you know, the guy that we can't stand is this number 12 guy. I mean, and imagine suddenly if he was on our team, okay? I mean, what if Aaron Rodgers finally came to his senses and joined the Bears? We'd finally have a decent quarterback. But essentially, that's what's happened. Saul, this guy who constantly opposed them, was against them, battled against them. Boom, suddenly he's on their side. He's on their team. And look at what they're doing together. They went all around Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. I mean, imagine what the, the Jewish people are doing. Imagine what the leaders are feeling. Well, guess what? We don't need to imagine. It tells us in the next verse. It says that he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but what did they try to do? They tried to murder him. Huh, imagine that. Never heard that before. Isn't that crazy? I don't know what it is with these people. If they can't win an argument, what do they always want to do? Kill you. Any debate. They want to kill you if they can't win. Imagine being on a d debate team in that town in high school. You wouldn't want to win. You'd fear for your life. I mean, seriously, here we go again. Saul is going against the current and they don't like what Saul is having to say. So they want to murder him. And guys, listen, we cannot take this lightly. They tried to murder him. Think about that. This is serious stuff. I mean, Saul's just trying to follow Jesus. He's just trying to proclaim the name of Jesus. And someone is out to take his life. Imagine what that was like. That happened to Saul. His life was going against the current so much so that his life was in danger. But I want you to see something here as we come to the close of the story. Let me read this. And, and there, when I read this verse, there's so much that hasn't been said in this verse, but this verse is actually telling us something, and I want you to kind of read between the lines. It says, when the believers heard about this, that Saul was being, you know, they wanted to murder him, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarshish, his hometown. Now, I want you to look at that verse, third service, and tell me, what does this verse tell us about the believers in Jerusalem now? They loved him. Because if they didn't love Saul, what would they have done? Yeah, go ahead and take him out. We don't care. But they didn't. When they heard what was happening, they took Saul, they rescued Saul down to Caesarea and took him to Tarshish, his hometown. Now, I want you to think through this. The believers of Jerusalem eventually embraced Saul and loved him to protect him. But how was that made possible? Who made that possible? Barnabas. 
because of Barnabas, because of Barnabas's example, because of the love that Barnabas showed Saul, the beautiful gift of the believers of Jerusalem church welcoming Saul into their family is the result of the kind of man Barnabas was. He's the one that introduced Saul to the apostles and then to the church. And from there, it just took off like wildfire. I'll tell you what, when we get to heaven and we see Barnabas, we have a lot to thank him for, that he stepped out and did that. And Whitestone, third service, I just want to encourage us today to be a bunch of Barnabases. Choose to be a Barnabas to others in your life. Encourage others. Go against the current for others. Love others. Trust others. Think the best of others. Don't hold a record of wrong of others. Welcome others into the community of Christ and be Jesus to everyone. Choose to be a Barnabas because everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. Let's choose to be those kind of people. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my Whitestone family. And God, I thank you for the story because the story shows us what we're meant to do. And God, there are so many of us who are on this, the beginning part of this journey and we've made mistakes, we've made blunders and those blunders, are the results and consequences are sticking with us. So God, may we be a group of men and women who surround each other and allow each other to be real so that we might run after Jesus together. May we embrace and love one another. God, thank you for my wife and family. May you bless them today, this week. May they experience your presence in a mighty way. And may we be a light, a bright light in a very dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you so much, guys. Have an amazing week, and we will see you next Sunday.